Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Yeah, don't it sound so epic? Horns are screaming, I ain't the one you want to mess with. Use a joke, I ain't the one you want to jest with. The battle's coming, you only got a few seconds to run. Hello, Bengals fans. I am Matt Minnick, and this is Bengals Chalk Talk. Today, I have a great guest, editor of USA Today's Touchdown Wire and author of The Genius of Desperation, Schematic Innovations That Made the Modern NFL, Doug Farrar. Doug, how are you today? Good, man. How are you? Good. I appreciate you being here. Uh, Obviously, the, the big news in the NFL this week, we'll, we'll start with the NFL in general, is, uh, is Cam Newton. Mm-hmm. Finally finding a home uh, up in up in New England. What do you think of Cam's fit with the Patriots? You know, it's interesting. And, you know, you're a coach. So you know what Earhart Perkins is. And, mm-hmm. you know, the Patriots have run it for 20 years. And it, different iterations of it. It changes. But it's kind of, you know, there's a, a similar verbiage. You know, the playbooks are not dissimilar from team to team. Um that's been Belichick's primary thing for a long time. And it's, it, I find it highly interesting. And I wrote this because that 2017 game where Cam Newton just lit the Patriots up and Belichick had said that, you know, in that week leading up to the game that Cam Newton is public enemy number one among mobile quarterbacks. And I, I kind of referred back to that. And I thought, well, you know, you look at Carolina's concepts back when Cam was healthy and in the first half of the 2018 season, when he was healthy, I would argue he was a top, you know, eight quarterback statistically, um, in the NFL, then he got hurt and then he got hurt again. And, you know, so now the narrative is he's been washed up for five years, which really isn't true, but uh, with, you know, three or four different offensive coordinators since 2012, Cam has been running, you know, he, you know, three digit vert with Norv, uh, but they've had Earhart Perkins concepts in their playbooks since Cam's second year in the league. So, you know, when Belichick's referring to a specific type of play, the name of the play may be different, but you know your second backside read, the option route he runs, uh, you know middle of field closed, middle of field open, might be the same thing or might be similar concepts. So he's not coming from West Coast to Earhart Perkins, and correspondingly, Josh McDaniels doesn't have to you know flip the script and reinvent the wheel. Um, I don't know how closely aligned the overall concepts are. But I think one of the reasons this was really an, an amenable fit for Belichick and McDaniels is that Cam has run some of these concepts before. And you know how it is. Concepts, you can have the same passing game concept. You know, boot flood is boot flood, whether you're in West Coast or three-digit or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, anything from traditional West Coast to spread. Um Boot flood is boot flood, but if you're if the terminology is the same, it helps a lot. I the, the story I always tell is I was talking to Russell Wilson in his rookie year, and Russell ran West Coast passing game, a West Coast passing game at North Carolina State, and he ran two back power at Wisconsin. And when he got to Seattle, Seattle was a West Coast passing game with two back power. And I asked him about that, like halfway through his rookie season, and he laughed and said, "Yeah, even the terminology is the same. It's like I went from college to the NFL, and I'm reading the same playbook." So. As far as scheme fit, I mean, as far as health, we don't know. Um, we can assume. 
uh, you know, what everyone said around Cam is he's fine. And of course they're going to say that if he's fine. Um, I, the other thing I think, you know, Belichick is the, probably the foremost historian in the history of the NFL. Um, you know, his, his Jenny Vrentis of, uh, SI did a thing on his library, um, like two or three years ago, got to see all the books in it. And it's just insane. So he's watched, you know, he was a defensive coordinator. Randall Cunningham was setting the NFL on fire, you know, not Vikings, but Eagles. So he's seen Randall Cunningham. He's seen Michael Vick. He's seen, you know, all the, you know, the new wave of quarterbacks now. Um, he is now in an NFL where per DVOA, the four of the five most efficient quarterbacks in the NFL last year were black. All were mobile. It's a different era. It's a completely different time to coach and develop and benefit from the skills of a quarterback. You have to think that after 20 years of a relatively stationary guy who, granted, Brady's probably the best in-the-pocket quarterback I've ever seen, but he's not going to run for 30 yards, at least a lot. So in Belichick's mind, he has to be thinking, you know, this is, you know, maybe he's got 10 years left max. I don't know. I don't know how much, how much longer he wants to coach, but you have to think he is fascinated by the idea of having a six foot five, 260-pound guy. His new quarterback is built like Gronk. <laughs> and can run and can throw and has some mechanical issues. His, his lower body has always been kind of weird and inconsistent. But, you know, uh, I am it, – it's one of the reasons, like, come on, everyone, wear a mask so we can watch Cam Newton develop in the Patriots offense. <laughs> I want to see this. Um, I, think it's, I think it's a more interesting and more hospitable fit than – people might imagine, you know, why don't they just sign Andy Dalton? Because Andy Dalton's a perfect fit for the Patriots offense. He's been running West coast, his whole NFL career, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, different versions of it. Why would he be a fit? Cam Newton schematically is a better fit than pretty much any other quarterback they could have gotten. So I'm, I'm really interested to see how that goes. Yeah, it will definitely be interesting. And um, I mean, he walks into a situation where, the Patriots once again have the best quarterback by far uh, in in that division. Um, you know, there's everybody else has a young guy who who maybe will be very good at some point. Uh, but you know, now they they're back really in the driver's seat with that, and you know, it's it, it's Belichick, so they're never really out of it. Uh, but they're back in the driver's seat with, with that kind of controlling position uh, there. <laughs> uh, yeah, it would definitely be interesting to see. I, I've heard some people talk about Cam and like, oh, well. You know, the, just his personality and, and uh, the way he dresses and giving footballs to kids, like which which definitely a positive thing, giving footballs to kids and stuff. I'm talking about a particular Boston radio station that shall not be named. Yeah, well. yeah. <laughs> no, Cam. He's an he's an he's an unconventional guy. He is not a. He's just himself and. Mm. I for for reasons we can all infer, uh, some people have a problem with that. The other thing I'll say, by the way, um, the Patriots have one of the weakest receiver groups in the league, and people sort of, well, Cam won't be able to do that. Have you seen some of the receiver groups he's had to deal with, especially after Dave Gettleman kicked Steve Smith out the door? Yep. I think it'll be fine. Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, you know, I, I think people, people, like, talk about the Patriot way and, oh, you can't – like. Belichick is cool with players, you know, giving players freedom, if if they take care of business. Um, you know, look, look at Gronk. 
Gronk did whatever he wanted. Well, but, I will say the interest. I mean, because the, there's every every locker room has at least a couple of alphas. Usually one on offense, usually one on defense. And the alpha for twenty years was Brady, and everyone you know, kind of followed Brady's lead. The fact that he's not there anymore, um, you know, it makes a difference on the field. I think it makes an enormous difference in the locker room. Like, who will be the guy to uphold whatever that is? Hmm. So that's you know, we'll see how that goes, but. You know, I don't know that Cam is that alpha. It may have to be someone else. True, true. Yeah, I mean, and, and they've got, uh, you know, they've got definitely some leaders on the defensive side of the ball. You got, you got Elman there that could step up. I, another guy I thought was interesting, and, and I, I live in the New England area, so I'm, I'm, I'm always around the Patriots stuff and the New England uh, radio stations and everything, all that stuff. So I'm always in tune with that stuff. But um, one of my, my favorite non-Bengal uh, in the NFL is Aqib Tlaib. And um- – Part of it is the way he plays, mm-hmm. uh, but also it's just he is he is so genuine. And yes. when he played for the Patriots, I mean, his interviews, he was himself. There was no there was no Patriot way about it. He was he was going to say whatever he was going to say. And it was awesome. No, uh, they signed Andy Moss. They signed Corey Dillon. They signed Michael. And, and they yeah. will. It Belichick has proven not to care that you have a big personality. Um, and Pete Carroll's much the same way. Um, yeah. and I, I, I would read about John Madden when I was a kid and John Madden had this, you know, be on time, play like hell and do what I tell you to do on the field and then <laughs> let you be whoever you want. If you want to come on the field wearing a German helmet, riding a horse and carrying a lance like Ted Hendricks once did, uh, <laughs> John Madden said, yeah, that's fine, Ted. Now get rid of the horse. And then they had practice. <laughs> you can't control everything. And, and yeah. Good coaches, good leaders, good executives, good whatever. You you learn to control what you can control. You leave the rest to, you know, the vagaries of time. And the guys that are getting it done, those are the guys you're messing with, you know. Nope. They're taking care of business. Let them be. So, um, now, we'll talk a little bit of Bengals. Uh, a few years ago, William Jackson was seen as a rising star in the NFL. He shut down Antonio Brown in their first two matchups. Yep. Um, PFF. F was in love with him uh, mm-hmm. after that, uh, despite plenty of defensive issues last year. Uh, the, the, you actually uh, recently ranked him as a top 10 man coverage cornerback in the NFL. So, you know, can he be a centerpiece? He's going into a contract here. Can he be a centerpiece, lockdown, shutdown guy? Uh, where do you see his future being in Cincinnati? Well, it's kind of a two-part answer. We discussed it before we started the podcast. Um, I'm not sure exactly schematically in coverage what the Bengals are attempting to do. Um, I can't believe it's, especially with their safety looks, what they're trying to do. Because if anyone was actually trying to do that, they should be, you know, out. (laughs) Um, But, and it's funny because, I mean, I I had looked at Jackson a little bit um, just because I try and get a handle, a, a sort of a handle on at least, you know, the like mid-level to marquee players every season. I want to be able to be somewhat informed on all these guys. You can't cover everybody, but I would watch Jackson and think, yeah, quick twitch, um, really good with his with, with his hip flip, really good with his feet, great footwork. And he's a guy who can – what makes him a foundational cornerback is the ability to press right up to a guy, handle the bump, create the bump, you know, control positioning – um, and then he's great with footwork, and he can trail a guy all the way up. He has match attributes, he has zone attributes, and he certainly has man attributes, just straight up, one-on-one. Um, 
And it was, you know, I, I go through the Sports Info Solutions database, and you can go, okay, cover zero, cover one, two-man, whatever. And Jackson gave up 10 catches on 28 targets for 159 yards, positive play rate of 32.1%, fourth best in the league among cornerbacks who've had at least 10-man targets. So you see that, and you go, okay, now i got to go watch the tape to make sure that this wasn't, you know, a bunch of receivers falling down and he was just a beneficiary. What I call the D'Angelo Hall rule, where, you know, <laughs> all of the interceptions, like, fell out of the receiver's hands, and boom, there he is. Um, and, and you know, tape backs it up. He's a really good player. Uh, there were times when he would be awaiting safety help, and for some reason, Jesse Bates was in the parking lot or section U. Um, and I, and based on what I'd seen of Bates before, it was kind of, schemed up in a way I don't understand and that's probably a whole different podcast but yeah he's got um I think he has all the raw attributes and and developed attributes he's he's showing development and I believe it's his third season um affected by injuries to a degree yeah I think he has all the you know he can be number one corner in the NFL definitely I think he has all the all the attributes to do that we we got to figure out exactly what that playbook is and how it's not working because they have well you look at you look at certain defenses and like the Patriots secondary they've got talent but the way they played man last year was insane that's one of the best secondaries I've ever watched the Lions played just as much man they have a former Patriots defensive coordinator um, as their head coach. They have a lot of talent, and they were like 29th in efficiency in man coverage. So a lot of it is, what are you trying to do? And with the Bengals, I'm not sure. But, yeah, William Jackson um, absolutely has a talent. Wouldn't surprise me at all in the next couple of years if he's talked about as one of those top ten guys. Yeah, I mean, hopefully the hopefully the defense comes together. And, and we're, again, we were talking a little bit before uh, we, we started recording here, but the Bengals did some really interesting things in their front, and then you know, like you'd be looking at the front, you're like, okay, this is this is pretty cool stuff. It all kind of comes together, and then you look at the secondary, and you're like, what is going on here? Um, and, and honestly, a lot of a lot of what they gave up defensively last year were big plays because somebody apparently didn't know what they were doing. Uh, I'm hoping they didn't know what they're doing, and because at least that's a fixable problem. Uh, but you know, now now next year they're coming in, they're going to have. Uh, Von Bell, they added at safety. They had two uh, new new corners in uh, Trey Williams, Mackenzie Alexander. So hopefully between that and the, the staff being together for a full year and having that communication, hopefully some of these things are getting getting figured out. Because and, and and I think it was we were off air when you said it, but some of the things they're doing, it's like, well, if they're trying to do that, this is a real problem. <laughs> you know? so. well, and Wayne's is, I mean, neither he nor Xavier Rhodes played all that well. Wayne's actually in the last four or five games of the season, and my, I think Mike Zimmer brought this up. He started to sort of put it together. Mackenzie Alexander is an above-average slot guy, so, you know, they kind of went to the Vikings bargain bin, but Mackenzie Alexander is a better player than people might think. You know, you might, uh, oh, the Vikings cornerbacks were all terrible. Well, Rhodes was cooked. Uh, Waynes was okay. And Alexander, I think, is, you know, maybe top 15 slot guy. And you know this, in today's NFL, your slot guy is your third corner. Nickel is a new base. So there you go. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, the reason I, br- I brought you here was uh, really to talk about the Ravens. I've been looking at the Ravens a lot. And obviously the Bengals yeah. need to be able to beat the Ravens. Uh, you know, that's. The first thing is 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 winning the division, you know, and then you worry about getting past Patrick Mahomes uh, for where you're trying to go. But uh, so the Ravens they really established themselves. Lamar Jackson really you know stepped up, won the MVP last year. 
really the biggest story in the NFL last year. And and Harbaugh kind of a little tongue-in-cheek in the offseason was saying you're going to see all this stuff you've never seen before. Uh, but what did he do? He, he, he went to his brother's playbook, basically. Uh, he hired uh, his, his brother's old offensive coordinator uh, and Greg Roman from, uh, from the 49ers, who ran the really the same concepts with Colin Kaepernick uh, in San Francisco, and, and they took it all the way to, to a Super Bowl, uh, Super Bowl of four, uh, ironically, uh, you know, against Baltimore. Uh, so what do, you, uh, what do you see in this Ravens offense and how it's executed and, you know, what's maybe different uh, that Roman has perhaps learned in, in the time uh, between his time with the 49ers and now? Well, it's, I mean, and you can go back, I mean, we're talking four or five years where um, Harbaugh and Roman were in San Francisco, and I think it was at the end of the 2014 season, they wanted to make Colin more of a pocket quarterback, and things started to change. But even then, um, you know, being in Seattle, I obviously watched those teams a lot, uh, talked to the coaches, I talked to Roman, uh the Niners Ravens Super Bowl, they have the media day where you can talk to the assistant coaches, which is awesome. And I sat there with Roman and talked to him like 15 minutes about just this and that. Because I've been setting the pistol since 2008 um, when I worked for Football Outsiders. And uh, the, 20, the 2008 Chiefs, uh, Damon Heward and Brody Croyle, both of their starting quarterbacks went down. So Tyler Thigpen, um, who I think had run some in, iteration of the pistol at Coastal Carolina back when he was in college, but, you know, they went two and 14, I think, and Larry Johnson was suspended. So the whole thing was a mess. And Chan Gailey was the offensive coordinator. And, you know, Chan is going to think ahead. So they started running pistol. And I got to talk to Thig Penn um, for a thing I did for Football Outsiders. So I've been studying the pistol since, I mean, two or three years after Chris Alt invented it. Um, what I've seen from Roman's days in San Francisco to now, um, I mean, I. I can just go over the notes I've made. It's far more pre-snap motion. Niners were a lot more static pre-snap. Um, and, and this, you know, we're, we're going to get into the triple option question you asked. I mean, they run not those concepts, but it's a lot of motion. It's a lot of confusion. When you combine the pistol with that sort of multiple option game and the most dynamic running quarterback since Michael Vick in Atlanta, it's a real problem. Um, and, Jackson is very much more like Michael Vick as a runner. Kaepernick to me was kind of like a slower Randall Cunningham. Big guy would break tackles. Um, and then you bring in the design run aspect. And I was looking at this uh, last season on design runs per sports info solutions. Lamar Jackson had 109 design runs, QB draws and option keeps for 800 yards, 300 yards, 303 yards after contact, six touchdowns and 50 five Oh first downs. Kyler Murray was second with 50 of those runs. So not only are they running the pistol to an inordinate degree, they are putting design runs in at a level they never did for Kaepernick because with Kaepernick, it was more like, I'm going to run if everything's closed or I'm going to run if the Packers try to play man coverage and I can, you know, set all sorts of playoff records. Um, one thing Kaepernick did as an advantage to Roman's offense was he – got defenses to stop playing man because the mo the second you turn to run in man, that's when Colin takes off for 50 yards. So eventually even Dom Capers got it into his head. I really can't do this. I have to do something else. Um, the, the thing that stands out to me in the, the differences between Roman and SF, you know, through Buffalo and, and into Baltimore 
he's put pre-snap motion far more into the equation. And I think that's kind of, I think it ties in with the NFL. The NFL, from what I've seen, has become far more of a pre-snap motion game in the last four or five years. I think Kyle Shanahan with Atlanta um, kind of pre-snap motioned his way to a Super Bowl to some degree because teams, the fullback's going out wide. What the hell? What am I supposed to do with that? Um, so that that's the primary difference is just Lamar Jackson's athletic attributes, but they're running a lot more motion. It's a lot more deception. Um, and I think Roman learned that, you know, and we can get into this, but when Chris Alton invented the pistol, he talked about it a couple years later at a coach of the year clinic. And he said, yeah, when you got the quarterback 3.5 yards behind the center and the running back 3.5 yards behind the quarterback, you can't really see the running back. So it's one more thing the end has to think about. You know, not only am I reading the quarterback to see if it's, you know, handoff or go, I now have to find the running back. And, you know, that, so it just he's he's added elements of deception and misdirection that are ideal in today's NFL. Yeah, and, and you mentioned that. And I think that as a, as a defensive-minded uh, former coach myself, you know, one thing about the running back and being in shotgun is when you're in shotgun, it gives me something else to go off of. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and as an example, if, if, if an offense comes out in a trips formation in the shotgun, if the running back's to the trips or if he's away from the trips, they're completely different formations. Like, right. There's different things you're going to do out of it. Uh, you know, and, and one might be more, more tendency to be passed based on, you know, what your protections are. Um, you know, you're you have an option to be able to run like triple option, a bubble option, things like that. When when you put them, uh, when you put the back to the to the trips, you know, you throw a tight end in there. It, it's a whole other thing. Now now we're thinking, especially if that back's away from the three man surface, that you know the ball's going to be running that in that direction. So there's a lot of tendencies um, and limiting factors really when you put the back on either side, but when you put him behind. Now the whole playbook is really, really opened up, and I mean that's a that's a huge advantage for them, um, and that's honestly that's why I saw it as the big advantage was that it takes away all those tendencies, and and in, in your book uh, the genius of desperation you you talk about uh, how having him behind actually allows them to have a much better downhill running game. Yes, you know they're they're running power, and I, I don't have the the numbers on this, but just casually they're they're running power plays. A lot more than most NFL teams are. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and they, you, know, you can't really run that out of, out of a pure shotgun because you're not getting the right the right motion downhill. What Thigpen told me in 2008 um, with that Chiefs offense and, and kind of the first, I, I think, I think the Panthers had run it the year before, but this was the first team that ran pistol a lot of the time. 2008 Chiefs and Thigpen said. And it was really interesting. Um, you know, this is a way to run regular personnel and still fool a defense. So, you know, what we're talking about is that, you know, that because you're a defensive coach, so you know that anything that forces the defense to think is bad for the defense. Because mm-hmm. when you're on the field, you got to react. You don't have time to think. If you if mm-hmm. you're thinking, you're dead. Because Patrick Mahomes just went by you for a touchdown. So. I think one of the reasons the Ravens run pistol, and I, I I agree, I've seen the numbers. I don't know what the actual percentages are, but it's like they run it far more than anyone else. And, and Roman has seen the benefits of pistol and a running quarterback and a power running game because 
Um, I remember talking to Mark Schlereth and a couple other guys. Uh, I didn't, or, oh, and Brian Billick. Um, an article I did on the 49ers blocking schemes before Super Bowl 47, and they they ran everything, every kind of blocking scheme that year um, with Kaepernick. So um, it, it's it's not dissimilar at all, especially the use of pistol. I think the difference is now, you know, imagine if Frank Gore and Vernon Davis had been, you know, all over the field and going crazy. That's kind of what it is now. Yeah, and. And even taking the next step with that, so they run a exponentially more pistol than anybody else in the league. Um, and when you when you break that down even more, uh, just in the one back pistol, you talk about how they they do pre snap motions. A lot of times they have we'll, we'll talk about it in a minute, but tight ends and fullbacks, things like that in the backfield. Uh, yeah. But just out of a one back motion, they'll run, yeah, they run full house too. They'll yeah, run yeah, full full house as well, and they love the motion to the full house and shift to it. Yeah. Um, so, but just out of a one back pistol. They were 65% run last year, uh, 35% pass. When they got into a shotgun, all right, with a with one back, but he's on either side uh, of the quarterback, it was 25% run, all right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, they, they move him up there. They're, they're moving that guy up there because it's it's more convenient for pass protection or to get him into a route. Uh, but, it, you know, they're, they're running the ball, and they know it's a lot more effective being able to run the ball out of the pistol. So, um now you mentioned uh, all the different things that they're running, all the things that they ran in San Francisco. Um, very diverse run game uh, mm-hmm. from uh, you know from this team. Like I said, it, it stands out to me that they run so much power, but they're still running way more zone read. Uh, they're running a, a lot of uh, outside zone, uh, and and maybe my favorite play in football is the quarterback power. Uh, the quarterback power with it with the option going outside and, and man if, if I ever ran an offense that would be a, that would be a staple of it um, and then you, you mentioned with the motions too uh, yeah. there are times when they send a guy in motion he's motioning at the snap and really that's the fullback kick out uh, for the power play is really just that motion the block didn't yeah, even take place with, uh, not the fullback uh, Ricard uh, yeah Ricard yeah 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 yeah, yeah. That's yeah, so I mean, so they're really they're affecting these guys in a lot of ways, especially right on that 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 C gap and the, and to the outside. Uh, you know, what kind of impact and you know what kind of benefit do you think being that diverse in the run game is to the offensive line? Well, let's let's bring. I mean, you you one of the questions you sent me was, and, and I don't know why Rome was taking heat for talking to Paul Johnson. But, because your job as a coach is to find different ways to do it. But I'll just, you know, the notes I made. Well, the, the, the uninformed takes that I was hearing were, why would they talk to that guy? He ran the ball all the time. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> um, I, you know, the notes I made in response to that, you integrate multiple option attacks and markers against the defense. You have a quarterback and a runner like Jackson, or if you guess wrong for a split second, you're dead. It makes all the sense in the world because it, what he had in 2011, what Roman had in 2011 was the Colin plan. That's what he called it. And he went down to Nevada to talk to Chris Salt about how do I integrate the pistol into everything? And now it's, you know, it's different option attacks. There, there are some read elements. There are some naked designed runs where it's not, you know, it's not slice action or whatever. Um, what it does, again, what we get back to the, the, the fundamental concept that Roman seems to align himself with is, I want to force the defense to think and hesitate. 
And certainly when you have a quarterback like Lamar Jackson, I mean, you would mention the, their success in empty sets. And there was that, I think, like 38-yard pass to Marquise Brown in the loss to the Titans where they were an empty, and it just – you're running five wide, but you still have a running back in the backfield, and he's the most dangerous runner on the field for either team. So you instantly have one-on-one matchups, and he just – he got one-on-one, and he hit it. So – the, the more diverse your offense is, as long as you can execute it, the harder it is to stop, as opposed to going slant flat all the time. Hello, Mike McCarthy. Um, you know, that's one way to go. And if you have an Aaron Rodgers, you're okay. Uh, if you don't, you're going to have to start thinking outside the box. And, you know, Lamar brings his own skill set to it. Um, but one thing Greg Roman has done for about a decade in the NFL now, he will create a really well-integrated and diverse run game. And the passing game will sort of siphon off of that. Um, but that's really where it starts. And the diversity of the run game in today's NFL, you know, it's a passing league and running backs don't matter. Um, the argument I would make, and certainly it's true with the 49ers as well, is running backs may not matter, but running games do. And the Ravens have one of the best, and it's one of the most diverse, and it really works. Yeah, and, you know, we talk about the option a little bit, and you know, one of the things about option football, and and you know, it's kind of going away. You don't you don't see as much of it even at the college level anymore. But you know, one of the big things about option football is that if they have enough time, if they have enough chances, they're going to break something. They're going to have something open, and and I really feel like that's the same situation with this uh, this offense in Baltimore. Is you know, we mentioned how much they're affecting those players on the edge, how they're yep. hitting them in all these different ways, how they're making them stop and think. And at some point, somebody's going to be in the wrong position. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I really think when you see the Ravens and how much they went for it on fourth down, how they – like it was a thing that they were going for it on fourth down last year, that's that's right out of triple option football because mm-hmm. they knew they could get a yard when they needed it. Because, yep. they, they no, you're not just you, – you can't just take that gap and own that gap because there's all these different ways they can hit you. And you don't necessarily know where the block's coming from, or if you, you know, if you're if you're even getting blocked on a play. Well, and that's the psychology of you know when you have confidence in your offense, the fourth down situation doesn't become a you know a reductive risk averse sort of thing. It's just another down. Mm-hmm. And I, I believe Harbaugh said that to some effect last year. That we see it is just you know Doug Peterson may think the same way. Um, the coaches who are more aggressive on fourth down, it's like well you know, we can make this go because it's, you know, short yardage. This is what we do. So it's just another down as opposed to a different team may say, Oh no, I can't do that because what if I miss? And then, you know, we're in a disadvantageous field position and someone's going to score a touchdown. I'm going to get fired, blah, blah, blah. Um, It's just, it's a different way of thinking based on the confidence that your guys have schemed everything up and you can make it go. I mean, it's it's more complicated than that, but the psychology of it is really rooted in just that, you know, the repetition of success and knowing that it will work. So we've talked a little bit about, uh, you know, fullbacks, tight ends, how they're using all these pre-snap motions. They're putting guys in the backfield. They're taking guys out of the backfield. Uh, all the th- different things they're doing formationally. Um so they, they, they use a lot of big personnel groups, you know, which gives them the ability to move these guys around and do some different things. Um, but one position they're not particularly big at is receiver. You know, their, their top receivers last year, Hollywood Brown, Willie Sneed, uh, both sub-six-foot-tall. 
Um, you know, bigger guys like Miles Boykin, you know, a little bit deeper on the depth chart. This year they went out and drafted uh, Devin Duvernay, who's 5'11". They drafted James Prochet, who's six foot tall. Um, you know, very talented players. And, and you know, I, I guess this is this is part of why a lot of people were really high in the Ravens draft. And I wasn't that high because I like those players, but I don't. I don't see what those guys are adding to the to the offense. Um, you know, why do you think that this offense tends to favor receivers that are on the shorter side? Well, two things, and I, you know, I'm I'm not saying that these attributes are only for shorter receivers. They may be more common. Two things that Harbaugh has mentioned repeatedly in the last few years is he wants guys who can go from outside to the slot and back uh, seamlessly. Because as he said, this is now a, you know, it's a three wide league. It's, you know, your, your third linebacker is gone um, and you have three receivers at least. Um, that's, that's the base. Uh, the second thing is he wants guys who can take a safety up downfield. And again, I'm not saying that there aren't big fast guys, but if you were to look at it, you know, smaller fast guys, probably more common by small, I mean, say six feet and under 200 pounds and under. Um, so that is, that's their receiver paradigm. They also, uh, Harbaugh has said, um, he wants guys who can trick and deceive and get away from bigger, less agile cornerbacks with quick angular routes, which is where a guy like, um, Sneed comes in or a Cole Beasley in Buffalo or a Doug Baldwin when he played was the master of that would just shred guys who should have him because he just knew exactly when to cut. Um, then again, you know, their, their best deep target in the regular season was their top tight end. So it's an interesting, you know, their, their, their sort of overall thought process is, you know, Andrews is actually, and I think Brown, yeah, Brown got him on deep catches, 20 or 20 air yards or more, um, by the end of the playoffs, they each had nine. They each had four touchdowns. But in the regular season, their best deep threat was Mark Andrews. You know, big tight end. And their other tight end was a blocking tight end. Their third tight end is now in Atlanta, so we'll see how that goes. But, um, you know, it, it's it's clearly something that they value, the versatility and the downfield speed. Those are the two things that, for Harbaugh, at this point, it seems non-negotiable. So maybe the fact that those attributes could be more common to smaller receivers are why they kind of go that way. And then, well, we have a big guy at tight end and he's detached a lot and he'll just be sort of our Travis Kelsey. I got you. I mean, essentially it's the same sort of thing the Bengals were doing with Eifert last year that helped him stay healthy was he was pretty much a receiver last year. And, yeah. uh, you know, they were, they were playing around the field, but, but he was and pretty much a receiver. That's kind of what the Chiefs had done with Tyreek and Nicole Hardman. I mean, yes, they had Sammy Watkins and guys like that, but really, you know, it, it's, it's stretch the safety, um, take the intermediate routes and get a guy who can just, you know, cut a cornerback to death. And then your, your slants and drags and posts and whatnot, that's the tight end. who just mm-hmm. can people up over the middle. That, that's, yeah not dissimilar to what the Chiefs do. Um, the Patriots, you know, with Gronk and kind of Julian, Julian Edelman and the Pips for a long time, it's not – so it's not – I mean, the Ravens do it, and they I know they catch a lot of flack for, why don't they just go get Anquan Bolden again? Well, good luck. There aren't too many of those guys around, so. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. yeah, it's just interesting to me because I feel like those guys are, you know, you mentioned that, that Harbaugh likes the guys that can make the quick cuts and, you know, get inside on, on the bigger, slower corners. It doesn't seem like there's a ton of, like, real quick timing-type passes in their offense. They don't even run as many RPOs as you would think they, they would. Yeah, I went and looked in preparation for this, and they're actually one of the – and it's not like they pass a lot anyway, but they have – I think they were sixth or seventh lowest in zero- to three-step drop throws. Yeah. That's a vertical passing team, and they have a quarterback yeah. do the Vic flick, you know, just bang, 40 yards downfield right in the bucket. Yeah. But this is not a quick passing team. They are they are vertical, and that's why they want guys who can, you know, hitch it and beat a safety, beat a corner, um, present yourself open, and take advantage of the one-on-ones that will come through formations, you know. When the fullback goes out wide and the linebacker goes, or the you know, the slot corner goes, or the slot safety goes, if they're playing deep like that, you know, you're going to have a one-on-one somewhere. We've trained our quarterback to find the one-on-one you better be past your guy. Um, and I think that's why they value speed so much. Whereas other teams, it's it could be big guys. It could be physicality. I know the Seahawks, they like speed guys, but they're, they're two prominent guys. Uh, Metcalf is just a, a physical force. And Tyler Lockett might be the most underrated route runner in the NFL. So it's just, it's kind of what your team wants. So they can run, they can pass. How uh, how are we supposed to beat this team? Uh, I think right now, I'm going back to my notes here. You have to focus on giving Lamar looks he's not familiar with, um, specifically late in the down. Titans did a really good job of this, where they would show one thing and do another. And he's going to pick more things up. Um, it's kind of what I said about Mahomes uh early on it's like you're going to be able to get him on this stuff now you won't next year and i kind of think lamar's on the same developmental curve um how you beat them now is you you show lamar different things you force him into mistakes um you try and develop a lead on a really good defense which has gotten i think better in the offseason um if you can force them into passing situations and then you can show lamar uh, and I'm not saying that he can't handle it. It's just most young quarterbacks like Kyler Murray. I've done a lot of tape study on him in the last few months. And a lot of the stuff with Murray was, you know, they were showing this and then they would do that. And so he'd get his pre-snap read and they would clock when he got the read and then they go, okay, now let's do this. Patriots are mad. They destroy golf with this in the Super Bowl. They absolutely, they turn golf into a pumpkin because you know, McVay's offense was predicated on, you know, we're going to give our quarterback an easy read and the Patriots went, well, nuts to that. We're just we're going to confuse your quarterback. Um, I think Lamar Jackson is a better quarterback than Jared Goff will ever be. But most young quarterbacks are going to be affected by this. So how you beat the Ravens right now um, in their current defensive window of opportunity where their defense, I think, is probably more consistently – good than their offense is you force Lamar, you, you, you do what you can to fool him. And right now I think that's relatively easy in a couple of years. It probably won't be. And then, you know, the math to that answer is going to have to be different. Yeah. You talk about uh, getting a lead on, on a talented defense there. So the Ravens record in 2019 with a lead at halftime, they were 13 and 0 
uh, trailing at halftime, they were 0-3. And then they were tied at halftime, and they won that one. So If you let them run in the second half, you can just go home because you're not going to win because that's what they do. They're a running team. They're a running defense team, and the passing game is predicated off the run game. And it's a shot play offense, shot play passing offense. And if you, you know, if you let them run and do the occasional shot play, yeah, as, as you just said, you're not going to win. So we'll uh, switch gears a little bit here. Uh, Doug's a great follow on on, on Twitter, uh, and you know, definitely uh, definitely somebody you should give a follow to for for sports takes. But uh, also a big music fan, and uh, uh, I think we're on the. I think we're on the same page with a lot of things music-wise. Uh, I think we have a, a similar style. One thing I like, I really like covers. So okay. I, I just wanted to ask you, do you have a, an all-time favorite cover? Oh, I have to go with All Along the Watchtower by Hendrix. Because what Hendrix did was he took Bob Dylan's song and changed it. And then Dylan heard that song and said, okay, now I have to play it the way Hendrix played it. You take a guy's song and turn it into something that is yours to that degree. Yeah, that would have to be. What about you? Um, you know, until recently, and, and, and that's a great one. I mean, I don't even think of that as Dylan's song. I've heard Dylan's version, but See, I, I knew he wrote it, but I didn't. I, I thought he wrote it for Hendrix. So, yeah. uh, so that's a that's a great point. Um, you know, for years. I thought "Heard It Through the Grapevine," the Creedence version was incredible. Um, uh, but, and then you heard Marvin Gaye. <laughs> well, well, then uh, then Chris Cornell started covering everything, mm-hmm. uh, and yes. Chris Cornell's version of "Billy Jean," it's like yeah, that's a good one. Like like look, I love Michael, but it's, it's like this is a this is a sad song. Like this mm-hmm. is the way this song was meant to be done. Kind of like you were saying about Hendrix, it's like. Like, how did I not realize for the first 20, 25, 30 years of my life or whatever it was that this is a sad song? You know? yeah. But um, yeah, now uh, uh, today's guest was uh, Doug Farrar. And uh, if you love X's and O's and NFL history, uh, you should definitely buy his book, The Genius of Desperation. Uh, required reading if you're, you're an X's and O's guy. Uh, or girl, uh, Doug. Where can people uh, find your work other than other than the book? Uh, Touchdown Wire site at USA Today. All right. So, thank you for joining me today, Doug, uh, and thanks everybody for listening. Uh, if you are, you know, if, if you enjoy the podcast, you like hearing from great guests like Doug, please give us a rating. Uh, it definitely helps more Bengals fans to uh, you know to track us down and. Uh, We'll keep it coming uh, all, all week throughout the year. I've got, I, I took a little bit of a break this week because I was finishing up some Bengals film review. So no video up on YouTube this week, but I uh, just finished up looking at the overall offense, kind of breaking down what happened mid-year. Uh, and I'll have a bunch of stuff coming up, particularly on, on some of the changes in the run game coming up soon on YouTube. So make sure you're looking for that. So thanks for uh, checking us out and who day. Yeah, we coming for us.